Hi, I'm Mark Brody, and this is the Friday Newscap Podcast. Each week, we review the biggest stories with experts, reporters, and commentators to put the news in perspective. Here's this week's episode. The dark cloud cast over the 2020 and 2022 elections because of the insane conspiracy theories perpetrated by high-profile election deniers could have and should have been stopped, especially as it relates to Maricopa County and its elections officials. And that obviously didn't happen last year. I'm telling you, we're the envy of lots of border states who don't have this, this relationship with their counterparts. The goal here is that in other states, there's going to be a billboard saying, come to Arizona, the starting teacher pay is X versus other states coming to Arizona and poaching our teachers. We really need to take bold action on getting the money to the teachers. We stand and say the Pledge of Allegiance every day on this floor. What's good for us is good for the children. The committee has made it very clear uh, that they're not interested in seriously vetting uh, my nominations. They're interested in Uh, carrying out their personal vendetta against me um, and using my nominees as proxy to do that. Finally, for the first time, this is a step in the direction of providing these unincorporated residents with a permanent water solution. And with me to talk about the revelation of what Mark Brnovich knew about allegations of fraud in the 2020 election, another one of Governor Hobbs' nominees to lead a state agency facing tough questions and more, are Doug Cole of High Ground. Hey, Doug. Hey, good morning. How are you, Mark? Good morning. Welcome. And uh, making his newscap debut, former House Minority Leader Reginald Bolden. Good morning to you. And good morning. So let's start with... Uh, the revelation this week of some news about the 2020 election. We're still talking about the 2020 election in 2023. Doug, this seems like a pretty clear case of we kind of know what Mark Brnovich knew and we know when he knew it. Well, um, I think I'm going to uh, give some some uh, shout out to my friend Bob Rob in his column this morning. He, he's calling this a crisis of credibility on the right, and it truly is. Just think if 280 people had switched their votes in the attorney general's race uh, this last November and and Abe Hamada had had won that race, I don't think we would have ever seen this shocking report that should have been released a year ago. Yeah, Reginald, how how shocking is this? Like how how big of a deal is this? Well, you know, I, I think the consensus, especially I would say, you know, from Democrats, progressives, folks really felt that, you know, Mark Brnovich, he new information that he held back because of the political climate that we were currently in. Uh, obviously, he had further political ambitions and trying to appease, you know, former President Donald Trump. I, I don't think that there was any clue that, you know, uh, that he, there was this amount of information that was available. Uh, but there was a, a consensus. I would say that folks knew that we weren't getting the complete, full, accurate story. Doug, what's interesting here is that Brnovich was one of the, if not the first, Republican elected official to publicly say the election was fine. He went on Fox News and said Joe Biden won Arizona. He then kind of shifted a little bit. uh, You know, we don't want to ascribe motives, but he then kind of shifted a little bit and maybe raised some questions about it. He had that interim report to the state Senate, which suggested all sorts of irregularities. And now we know that for at least most of this time, he knew and his staff had told him that there were no irregularities. I, it, I, that's, that's so true. In November of 2020, um, he was one of the first said, hey, nothing to see here, folks. Uh, people people didn't vote for uh, 
uh, uh, Donald Trump and they didn't vote for Martha McSally, but they voted for Republicans down tickets. Right. Easy to explain. Um, but he went back and forth on where he was. I mean, from lo- that strong statement. But what's really troubling to me is the in, is the timing of all this, because in March of last year, after after the referral from President Karen, then President Karen Fan, in September of the previous year from the Cyber Ninja quote unquote audit, um, he knew in March after ten thousand hours of investigative time, sixty five investigators. He knew in March, but yet in April, he put out this interim, which was unprecedented at the time, this interim report alleging that there was irregularities in in Maricopa County. And he could have shut it all right down then and there. But what what his actions caused was, was county supervisors being threatened having to move out of their homes, having to have uh, security with their children, it could have shut all this down. And, and he affected so many people's lives. And actually, uh, in my, my opinion, really denigrated the institution of the Department of Law in the state of Arizona. Reginald, how much do you think he could have shut it down? I mean, clearly, there are people who, regardless of what they read in, in these documents, will still believe that the 2020 election was rife with fraud, that Donald Trump really won Arizona. So I guess from your, in your opinion, how much could he have shut it down by saying at the time what we now know that he knew then? You know, I, I believe that elected officials' voices matter. You know, they give a platform uh, or they can actually, you know, uh, amplify motives, uh, you know, conspiracy theories um, that people may have. And, you know, by allowing the office to be used in a way that just amplified some people's suspicions or some people's political strategy, allow for, you know, quote unquote, the big lie, these security threats and these uh, security issues to continue. And, And I do think that we're at a time and place where we have to expect more from our public elected officials in which that, you know, just simply using your voice and saying, you know, playing politics when it has the ability to hurt someone, it has the ability to lose credibility of our great state and our institution is something that we have to take seriously. Doug, we've read about a couple of bar complaints against Brnovich. We don't know a lot of details. We don't really know any details about them at this point. Would you imagine that there will be some kind of repercussion to Brnovich for this? Well, I, again, we, we've heard already from the state bar there have been a couple of uh, you know, uh, bar complaints filed already. I would imagine that uh, there's some serious considerations by by parties that have been aggrieved um, and, and – uh, to file bar complaints, uh, you know this is this is serious stuff. Um, taxpayers' monies were expended with with the expectation that this information would be released. We do have public records laws in the state of Arizona, um, and a lot of media outlets and others asked for this um, asked for this uh, investigation, and it's only because 280 people decided in November they wanted Chris Mays to be the attorney general as opposed to her opponent, do we know this now? So, Doug, if you were advising Mark Brnovich right now, he, we've not really heard from him since this. What would you tell him to do? Well, I, th- I think that uh, he, he just he needs to apologize, in my opinion. I mean, th- th- there really is no excuse for this. I, 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 I'm, I've been involved in the public process in, uh, for 30 years, and I have never seen something like this uh, he just needs to come clean and try to move on. I don't know if he can move on. 
Reginald, what kind of reaction are you hearing about from your some of your former colleagues at the Capitol? I mean, I would imagine some of them probably are not super surprised by this, but I would imagine some of them probably are. You know, I mean, the the wide consensus right consensus right now is that you know many people believed uh, that there was information that was held back, and and, and you know. Uh, the challenging part now is that, you know, you've, you know, we're talking about the 2020 election again. And in 2023, you now have new statewide government. You know, the legislature has changed. Uh, but, again, but again, you know, we are still in this space and place here in the state of Arizona uh, where you know, we have real work to actually do. And, and I believe like the majority of people who I'm talking to, they're looking forward ahead and to actually trying to focus on today's problems and issues. Well, also recognizing we cannot repeat and have what happened in, in the past. And that brings up a good point of, of looking forward and ahead. Well, th- this came out day before yesterday, um, front page of the, wa- of the Washington Post. Right. But then yesterday, we had the joint committees of both, both quote, and I'm using air quotes here, uh, we are on radio, uh, <laughs> of the Elections Committee had a joint meeting all day long, all day long repeating and grifting all these accusations that were debunked by 10,000 hours of investigation by our attorney general. And they spent all day in the legislature and and the the Democrats wouldn't even participate. I guess that kind of raises the question of back maybe to the original point of like how much does this actually move the needle? Because clearly there are still people who will look at at what Brnovich had compiled and not released, what Attorney General Mays has now released and say, yeah, no, we still have evidence. I mean, we hear it from Carrie Lake that she still has evidence of fraud in, in 2022. So, I mean, is this just, is this a something that we're going to have to learn to live with to some extent? You know, the problem is, is elected leaders are actually being rewarded for their, you know, dishonesty or in actually pushing these claims. You know, when you get to a place, or at least at a, at a hyper-local level, when you look in, you know, uh, very, you know, uh, red conservative districts, people are being rewarded, whether it's, you know, through leadership and, you know, these, uh, you know, potential areas and clubs or whether it's, you know, being elected to office. So until you see the public demanding more, uh, you won't get more. Um, But at an aggregate level, when you talk about statewide, when you talk about, you know, independent voters, when you talk about, you know, uh, moderate Republicans and people who want to get work done, uh, folks are just being further and further alienated from these people who are continuously pushing this, this, this claim. All right. So, Reginald, speaking of people who are trying to get work done for the state, we saw some more uh, hearings this week for uh, nominees to lead state agencies. The uh, Department of Transportation uh, nominee was moved forward. The director nominee for the Department of Administration, basically the HR department uh, for the state, was grilled and then held on. Uh, the uh, the chairman of the the committee, Senator Jake Hoffman, said, we have some more questions. We think maybe she wasn't being totally truthful. I'm curious what you make of of what you have seen so far uh, out of out of this committee. You know, the the calculus and the strategy has been one that I think simply for, you know, Senate Republicans, I, I just don't think it's a it's a winning strategy. So the play has been we're going to do whatever we can possible to make sure that the Hobbs administration doesn't look good, even if that means that is going to affect our state 
our state budget, if it's going to affect our state uh, agencies. Uh, and, you know, this idea of what we're seeing here in Arizona is just a mirroring of what's happening uh, in, in Washington, D.C. And, and and the reality is, is people, they're not asking for Arizona to follow behind a broken system that we're seeing, you know, in, in D.C. When you talk about that, they're, they're actually looking to move forward. And, you know, I, I think that um, you'll continue to see, um, you know, this committee, you know, um, you know, do go through a lot of different strategies and, and quite frankly, put a, a number of different roadblocks uh, for agencies just simply because they believe that that's a, a winning strategy. Um, but you just look as far as no, the November 2022 election, which shows that People aren't asking for that. They're asking for people to come together and get work done, not more politics uh, and more circus-like behavior. Doug, we, th- this nominee had worked in the Ducey administration. She was a, a deputy under uh, then-director Andy Tobin. Um, th- it didn't seem like ahead of time there was a lot of concern that maybe she would run into trouble. Was it surprising that she did? Yes, it is, especially for this particular position because this is the agency's agency, okay? They do HR. They do risk management. They do procurement. You know, it's boring government <laughs> stuff that they do, but it's a very important agency. And Elizabeth Thorson's been been around forever and, you know, she started in, as the HR director. She, she was the HR director over the Department of Environmental Quality and, you know, is well known. But um, I, I – I, this new committee that's been set up, which is unprecedented, the, the Committee on Director Nominations, consolidates all all the uh, advice and consent of, of the governor's nominees in, into one committee. Uh, it, it's the Senate's it's constitutional right to do that under Article 4, Section 8. They can – they set their own rules. So uh, – um, you know, they they also took credit. Senator Hoffman took credit uh, uh, Wednesday evening for forcing out the governor's nominee to the Department of Child Safety. Right. Yeah, we'll talk about um, that. Yeah, too, yeah, yeah, Mr. Stewart. So, um, you know, it's it's going to be a long road. But but this happened before in, in 1991 when Governor Symington, the newly elected Republican governor, and the Democrats were controlled by by by. I mean, the Senate was controlled by the Democrats, led by Pete Rios. And they gave Symington's – I was there. I was his right. deputy chief of staff. They gave our nominees similar uh, problems uh, and rejected some of – and rejected Governor Symington's nominee to the Department of Administration ah. uh, in 1991, a guy by the name of Jerry Tobin. Uh, we just we just turned around and made him deputy director. <laughs> that is Doug Cole. I'm also joined by Reginald Bolding. I'm Mark Brody in Phoenix. So, Reginald, Doug mentioned uh, Matthew Stewart, uh, the nominee for the Department of Child Safety. Uh, his nomination was withdrawn after some disturbing allegations uh, came through. How how bad is this for Governor Hobbs? I mean, she's had one nominee already withdrawn slash rejected by the Senate, another one withdrawn. We just talked about the Department of Administration is on hold and maybe in trouble. How bad is this for her and her administration? Well, I think you have to take a step back and, you know, you look at what are things that are within, you know, a governor's, you know, locus of control and what are things that aren't, right? You know, and, you know, every governor has the ability and the right to choose who their nominees are and then 
those nominees have to go through public scrutiny. That's that's the process from a national level down to, you know, a state level. Um, with that said, uh, I think it is extremely important, though, that, you know, that as as the governor is selecting, you know, these nominees, which, by the way, is the is it was a historic and unprecedented uh, list of individuals uh, with regards to diversity, with regards to, you know, uh, talent and knowledge. And, and and I really think that she did a, a, an excellent job on, on her picks. Um, but you have a, uh, a a nomination committee who is willing to do whatever, uh, whether it's, you know, make agencies uh, work more difficult uh, without having, an, you know, a director in that in that role uh, in order to try to take a shot at Hobbs. I, I don't think that I don't think that these are uh, a shot at Governor Hobbs. I actually think it shows the more extremism that you're seeing in the state Senate, i.e. why you need to actually, you know, change people in that in that body. So, Doug, in this case, uh, Senator Hoffman said basically, look, if, if the governor's not going to vet her nominees, this is stuff that happened in the past. It leaves it to us to do it. I mean, does this give him in that committee a little bit more, more ammo for what they're doing? I, I, I equate this one on uh, – not the same way with Dr. Cullen, who was the who was the nominee that uh, that uh, withdrew for the, the Department, Department of Health Services, who was the Pima County Health. That that was based on on COVID policies and and just an extreme disagreement on on personal liberties and govern government in, intervention. She was extremely is extremely qualified has a has a, a a wonderful resume but you know it just was not going to happen and 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 I don't blame her for withdrawing this one out of all the governor's nominees when when I, I think it was was probably uh, a misstep by the administration uh, this person uh, didn't have uh, the the experience that dr. Cullen had in her field um, I you know you, you make missteps and and so this person is not moving forward. She has some great other great nominees. I agree with Reginald on, on this. She's done a great job. Uh, Karen Peters at DEQ, Jennifer Toth uh, at at ADOT. I mean, the list is uh, uh, Director Rogers at DES. Uh, it's, it's just done a, a great and, and keeping Tom Buchotsky at DWR. So I, I would you know you make missteps. It's a very compressed time that you got to find people. Uh, she'll find somebody else for DCS. It's an important agency. Uh, she just needs to move on and find somebody else. It happens. All right. So, Doug, Reginald mentioned maybe changing the people in the legislature. This week, Governor Hobbs said that she is going to commit, at this point, half a million dollars to doing that, to flipping the legislature uh, from Republican control to Democratic control. Um, this is something that, I mean, I, I can remember at least 10 or 12 years ago, Democrats talking about winning winning the legislature, at least one chamber, when Jim Wires was the Speaker of the House all right. the way back then. I mean, it, the Republicans have have a one one seat edge in both chambers. But given the way the districts are drawn, and given the way the state is made up, and I guess to an extent, given candidates, can it can it happen? It certainly can. And I hate to keep turning back the clock to nineteen ninety one. Doug's but, glory days. But no. <laughs> but there's there's so many things that are happening again. You know, history just repeats itself. So we had a Democrat um, controlled uh, uh, Senate. Um, uh, they were giving Governor then Governor Symington a lot of problems with his nominations and his and his policies. Mm -hmm. So he committed. We committed uh, as 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 an administration early on that we were going to go after a, a couple of, of Democrats in swing districts, and we targeted a gentleman by the name of John Doherty down in Green Valley, and we lived in Green Valley. 
Governor Simey did, and we defeated him, and we flipped the Senate. And then life got a lot better, and and we raised a lot of money. And so um, Governor Hobbs is repeating re, re, repeating that that playbook, and and I don't blame her. That's what I'd be doing if I was sitting up there. Does it make it, Reginald, a little harder for her to work with Republicans, though, when she's openly talking a month into her administration of trying to beat them in two years? I mean, I don't think that there was any question that, you know, the Republican legislature were going to provide roadblocks regardless, right? Uh, you know, in every uh, comment that we've seen from Governor Hobbs, she's talked about bipartisanship. She's talked about working together. And that's just not the same rhetoric you hear from, you know, Senate or House Republicans. And, and you know, the reality is if you can't change people's hearts, you, you change their offices, you know, uh, and, 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 and that is something that I think that Governor Hobbs is particularly looking at. I mean, you know, uh, the, the reality is right now there are so many significant issues uh, here happening in the state of Arizona. You know, everyone's focused on housing, infrastructure, all of these things are happening. And we are seeing the same policies uh, where uh, Senate Republicans are running further and further to the right. And I, I can tell you, that's actually going to help uh, Governor Hobbs and her strategy as she goes into these districts in which we're extremely close in the in the 2022 election. I, the, I agree with my, my friend Reginald here that the, those issues, there's many issues that need to be addressed. But the first thing that needs to be addressed and figured out is the from the ninth floor's perspective, they got to figure out how to work with this legislature. Okay, it it is you know the old the old adage she she has the biggest one vote. Okay, it takes sixteen thirty one and one. She has the biggest one, but she has to in order for her to get through these issues that Reginald just uh, just went through. She has to figure out how to work with them. Conversely, the legislature not only has to figure out how to work between the House and the Senate, um, they also have to figure out how to work with her. So we're going to see, we, we've already seen 14 vetoes. Um, every bill that's come up there has already been vetoed. Uh, this is going to continue for a while and, and not until, it's, in, until there's, there's a, a, a path to get things passed and, and, how they, and, and, and after they figure out how to work together, we'll, only then we'll be able to address the budget, housing, and, all, and water and all these other things that are, that are that are really high and important on Arizonans' minds. Well, so Doug, let's go back to your your experience in the Symington administration. How do you break the ice? Like, how do you start the process of having a governor of one party work with a legislature of another party? Like, somebody's got to make the first move, right? Well, I mean, she she's got to start building relationships with members of the majority party, the thin majority, building relationships with legislators that she can work with. Um, and, and it just takes a lot of, you know, personal cultivation, uh, identify issues that, 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 that can be aligned. It, it's just a process. And this is not going to be resolved tomorrow. It's not going to be resolved next month. It's probably going to be resolved in July. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully a budget's done by then. Hopefully so. <laughs> yeah. So, Reginald, I mean, Having served at the legislature, always with a Republican governor as a Democrat in, in the legislature, do you get the sense that it is possible that the Republicans in the legislature and Governor Hobbs can – I assume they want to work together to some extent. Can they? I, I believe, you know, absolutely they, they can. It's something that can happen. Um, do I believe that we'll go to the very last, you know, hour – 
and and maybe even past that. Again, I I I believe that this could be a a place where we are talking about you know a government shutdown. I do legitimately believe that that dynamics right now, everything is you know set up for that to happen. Uh, when you think about those lawmakers who have you know worked across the aisle, who've looked at you know potential bipartisan, uh, you know budgets or bills. They were more experienced legislators, you know, and, and just thinking about my time, you had the Kate Brophy McGee's, the Heather Carter's, the Paul Boyer's. In this legislature, you have a, a number of new members, uh, those who are more experienced, who are in somewhat swing districts, also have political aspirations. And those political aspirations live through that more conservative wing of the caucus. So what's happening in these caucus rooms right now is that you have people who recognize that the strategy of just being no on everything is not is not okay, um, but their voice is the minority voice in the room, uh, and they can't break the ground unless they decide that they're going to have to, you know, put their own political career, uh, you know, in jeopardy uh, and, and make a make a change. Doug, about 30, 30 seconds left. Yeah, but, but here's the challenge of you know she's as we talked earlier that she's putting this fund together to go after after uh, particular districts, and and there's you know four or five districts, but but. But on the other side, the people, the Republicans that that hold those seats right now would be the natural Republicans that she would need to get stuff done. Mm. So it's it's kind of a dichotomy for her because because the way the districts are drawn, they're 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 either so Republican or so Democrat. These swing districts are, are where she needs to make gains, but those are the Republicans she needs to work with and build relationships with. So so it's going to be a long road. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to watch. That is Doug Cole of High Ground, also with me, former House Minority Leader Reginald Bolden. Guys, thanks for coming in. Thank, Thank you. you. You've been listening to the Friday Newscap from KJZZ's The Show. It's an original podcast recapping the week's biggest stories with experts, commentators, and reporters. You can get the full show podcast at podcast.kjzz.org. I'm Mark Brody. Thanks for listening.